0: This is Get Closer, a podcast by the Geneva International Motor Show. In this episode, we get closer to Sebastian Buemi. In 1993, young Sebastian doesn't know it yet, but under the Christmas tree, He's about to open a present that will pave the way for an extraordinary career. Out of ideas for a Christmas present, Sebastian's father decided to get him a cart. Sebastian is only five years old, but it doesn't take long until he drives around the family parking garage all day long. Before he even turned 10, Sebastian Buemi became the Swiss champion of his category. The first of many titles and trophies to come including four wins at 24 hours of le mans in just five years and it all started with a christmas present
1: hello sebastian Buemi. welcome to get closer how are you sir i'm very good very good and you yeah i'm really good thank you i'm first going to start off by congratulating you at the weekend i saw you briefly in bahrain what a way to finish the season, huh?
2: Yeah, obviously uh, that was the objective going into that last race, obviously to win the championship. We didn't win the race. We we wanted to win the race, but finishing P2 was enough to uh, secure the championship and that was the objective for us as a crew and also for, for Toyota as a manufacturer. We won basically both championships, so we are happy with that and uh, already thinking about 2023.
1: We will go into all of that, and 23, because I know you've just recently announced some very exciting news, but uh, what I want to do is is go right the way back, if that's okay, because I just want to know when the spark for motorsport began. I know it was a bit of a family tradition, right? Yeah,
2: my, my grandfather used to drive cars and did Le Mans a few times back in 1960, and um, basically, I, I got a go-kart for Christmas when I was uh, five years old, so... Uh, Long time ago. And uh, yeah, I started to drive that go-kart, but it was more like a hobby at the beginning, I would say. And then at some point, obviously, I have done a few races. uh, I did well. And then from there on, I just started to race nearly every weekend.
1: How hands-on were you? I imagine that your granddad was someone who really got up close and personal it's quite different now isn't it to how it was back then did you have that sort of relationship with him yeah
2: obviously i, I did it mainly with my with my dad but my my grandfather was there as well and uh, quite quickly i realized that we were not going to do it just for fun you know we wanted to be successful and obviously we did everything we could to be good and uh, I've won uh, quite a lot in go-karts. So then I I moved to single seat as when I was
1: uh, 15 years old. Competitive spirit was in the blood then. Yeah, I guess so. Clearly, Could you have imagined ever being anything else? Because, you know, it's one thing as a child, they're having that sort of family racing tradition, but children you know, quite often will go off on their own paths. Was that just not an option or was that not something that you thought about?
2: Yes, somehow I was really passionate about what I was doing and the fact of being kind of successful made it quite clear it to me that I wanted to be a racing driver. However, it's true, you never know when you're 12, 14 years old whether you're going to make it or not. And uh, back then I was obviously asking myself what should I do regarding school and stuff like that. And then when I had the opportunity to join the the Red Bull Junior team, 20 years ago now i knew that if it would not work i would find out quite quickly you know especially with that program and uh, i would still have time to go back to school and study but obviously and and luckily things went well and uh, you know it was not really a question anymore at some point you know when i made it to f1 but uh, It's true that um, you never really know and you have to go all-in in in your sport and you have to do all the sacrifices and obviously try really hard because it's difficult to make it to the top if you don't give your 100%.
1: It can't have been easy, that juggle of that life with school life.
2: It's, It's obviously always hard. But um, I basically stopped school quite early when I was uh, something like 17. And then I, I was fully dedicated to racing, basically. I was racing in two different categories back then at some point. So I would not have had any time to do something else. And uh, I thought, let's give it a go properly and then I'll find out quickly. And then and obviously I did Formula 3, Formula 2, and then obviously Formula 1.
1: Your cousin, Natasha, what did you learn Um from the direct competition with having a cousin in the same industry? Um, I think
2: that was kind of crucial at the beginning because obviously uh, when we started Go-Kart together, we we did everything together every weekend. And clearly, fighting someone, you know, makes you better than if you are just on your own. So sometimes, you know, I had a bad weekend, but she had a great one and uh, obviously that was pushing me to get better and to achieve more and to push really hard and not give up, you know, and, I feel like it was a very healthy relationship where we pushed each other. I had this kind of competitive spirit, but it, it was not too much. So somehow it helped me very much. And I think that was the, the base, you know, I, I needed to learn uh, those basic stuff. And I did pretty well. So somehow I'm very thankful for those years, you know, it, they, they were amazing.
1: How did you manage the difficulties of being a swiss driver with i mean you had almost no support from the swiss federation and sponsors did
2: you yeah i find it kind of sad because obviously switzerland is a healthy country you know there's lots of companies that could help but you know in switzerland today you have tennis you have football you have skiing but you don't really have motorsport and uh Yeah, I feel like, you know, I I really needed some help back in those days. And now I have lots of people that wants to do partnership with me. And uh, somehow, of course, it's nice, but I don't really need them as much as I did when I was uh, 10 years old. So I I find it kind of sad, but somehow it's really difficult to change that mindset and to um, make it change. So it's true that I'm not doing as much as I could with the Federation anymore because, you know, they didn't help me. So I don't see the point of helping them out, which is kind of sad, but this is the way it is. Uh, You know, I'm focusing on my own career. If I can help a few young guys, I will, I will obviously do it, but the main focus is on me and that's it. Yeah.
1: You touched on obviously F1, F2, F3, but June 22nd, 2008, we're going into GP2 sprint race land. What did that represent for you you started P21 last place on the grid that was quite a key moment
2: yeah obviously it was a very important moment thinking about it because um, Mr Mateschitz was there at the race and obviously starting last because I DNF the first race I think I was running P5 and I had an electrical issue so I had to start last for the second race and I, I won it obviously I started on slick tyres which was uh, the right call but still we we did a great race and he was there. And then a couple of weeks later, I won in Budapest, as when. And he was there again. So somehow those two moments, they were kind of key, I guess, into pushing Red Bull to promote me to Formula One for 2009. So yeah, sometimes you need those kind of moments, you know.
1: I imagine that you remember very clearly that moment of hearing the news that you were going to be stepping up. I can't imagine that ever leaves, right? Yeah,
2: I remember. Well,
1: obviously, um, Helmut Marko
2: giving me a call to say, OK, this is done. You're going to be driving Formula One next year. And obviously signing my contract with Mr. Mateschitz in Fuschel in Austria, I think in December uh, 2008. That was also a special moment because it's a kind of a dream come true. You know, you've been uh, working so hard to make it to Formula One, so when that happens, it's hard to realize, but it's it's an amazing feeling. And I guess you actually realize once the lights uh, go out in Melbourne for the first race.
1: The energy and atmosphere at that first round, as well, is always electric, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed obviously racing in Melbourne. I thought that was a great place. You know, it was totally different to the rest of the season. And uh, obviously starting the championship there was always a very cool moment. And uh, yeah, my first race finishing seventh, you know, and scoring points was obviously a great result. So um, I remember well that weekend, I was really nervous.
1: I guess some rounds are just less favored than others. Are there any rounds that you would have been less looking forward to? Of course there are circuits that you enjoy more than others but there are
2: also places where Formula One is not really famous and you don't really feel like that kind of great atmosphere. Um, Every time you go to to Europe, anywhere in Europe or obviously in Melbourne or Montreal, it's amazing, but there are a few places like we used to go to Korea, China. Obviously those places you don't have that kind of atmosphere Um, and the fans obviously don't know so much about racing. So it makes it kind of different. I, I did enjoy the circuits, but you know, I think that the fans, the spectators in general and the atmosphere is part of a good weekend. So you need those, those things to come together if you want to make it a great venue.
1: How do you look back on your F1 career today?
2: I don't have many regrets. Obviously, there are a few things I could have done differently. I think, you know, Formula One, it's a lot about timing. You need to be in the right car at the right time on top of being a good race rider, obviously. But uh, sometimes, you know, the career, they, you know, you don't need much to make it totally different. And uh, at the end of 2009, I was really close to join uh, Toyota in 2010, just before they stopped Formula One. And as an example, I'm sure that would have totally changed the uh, the outcome of the career in F1. But of course, you do the best you can and uh, you grab the opportunity when it comes to you. But um, again, timing is is very crucial.
1: Do you feel like that as that door closed, other doors opened? We all end up saying that, you know,
2: but obviously when Red Bull told me I would not be racing in Toro in 2012, but I would only uh, be a reserve driver. It was a really tough moment and uh, hard to accept in a way, but, you know, I move on quite quickly, so I don't think much about it anymore. That's it. It's part of the past. And uh, obviously because I didn't make it into F1 with Toyota, I was in good contact with them. And then uh, I think Already towards the end of 2011, they announced that they will come back to Le Mans for 24 hours and the WEC uh, was going to be the first season of the WEC. And uh, directly I spoke to Toyota, to Pascal Vasselon, who's a good friend of mine since a long time already. I got offered directly a drive. So I guess, you know, all the doors are opening. But of course, my priority back then was to try to find a a place in F1, which which I didn't. So I wanted to be racing on the side. And initially, I did the WEC, only one race because uh, we didn't have the budget to do more. And then in 2013, I did all the championship. From 2013 onwards, I've been racing with Toyota in the entire championship. And then from 2014, obviously, I joined Formula E. But uh, somehow, um, I'm lucky that I had that opportunity. And after winning four times or more and three times the championship, it feels uh, it feels good. Yeah, I bet.
1: <laughs> yes. Especially when you list it all off like that
2: I guess you can always do better but...
1: well there's still lots of time
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: how do you view your work as a developer for Red Bull in the team's success over the past couple of years
2: it's always hard to judge obviously I'm a small part of a very very big organization you know and uh, I really strongly believe that if you want to win you need a good driver a good team obviously a good car you need a good engine you get you need everything good you know i think max obviously makes a difference but then people here in milton Keynes, they are really strong obviously and uh, i'm happy and proud to be a part of the team but i'm just a very tiny part of that big organization so i hope that i'm helping i'm convinced that i'm helping but how much it's obviously really hard to say
1: So 2018 Le Mans 24-hour. Talk to me about that. Yeah, uh,
2: extremely stressful race, obviously. Uh, you know, after retiring the car in the last lap in 2016 while leading, um been a bit traumatized, you know. So somehow, even when we lead a race, even in, in Bahrain, I'm always thinking what can go wrong. And always scared to hear the speaker say that the car number eight is stopped on the side of the road, you know, somehow. That's what happens when you retire in the last lap in the Mans. But um, 2018, I think it's a kind of a breakthrough. We had a difficult race at the beginning, lots of small issues, and car seven was obviously leading for most of the race. But somehow in the middle of the night, Fernando had a massive triple stint, and he obviously catched uh, a lot of the sister car. And then I feel like that we had a bit of an edge in terms of car setup. The car was just feeling better and we were faster. So um, we made it to the end and I feel like it was really important to finally win that race because we've been doing it. We were doing it since 2012, you know. So many, many times in 2014, I feel like we should have won. But we had an accident 2016, obviously in the last lap. So sadly Porsche and Audi were not there anymore, but um, it was an amazing moment to win it in 2018.
1: The atmosphere... Le Mans is just incredible, isn't it? How does it compare to the F1 or an F1, one of we we'll pick any round, from a driver's perspective? It feels a bit bigger than an F1 race. Obviously, F1 is amazing.
2: Next year, it's for 24 weekends. But uh, Le Mans is something very big. First of all, because I guess it's only once per year. So you know you have only one opportunity, and if you mess it up, you have to wait an entire season to get the opportunity again. And then it's a 24-hour race. You know it's very long, and things can go wrong. And uh, we often say that the preparation for the most starts already on the Monday after the most. So we obviously do huge amount of testing uh, from January to June. Lots of simulations where we try to drive for 30 hours with our car. And obviously, it's a special track. You know, it's not like a normal circuit. It's a very long one. You use part of the normal roads. You drive through the night. So also small details, I guess, makes that race very special. And obviously, the spectators that turn up, it's it's pretty massive. It's an entire week, you know. Normal Formula One race, you get there on a Wednesday night and you leave on a Sunday night. Where here, it's like over a week that you are on site. So... By the time you start the race, you already feel a bit tired, if you see what I mean,
1: Absolutely, I do. I've done the pit lane for Le Mans and by the time the race started, I really wanted to go to bed. <laughs> yes. How much do you think that you have learned as a driver, like mentally, and physically since
2: your first Le Mans compared to now? A pretty huge amount. I would say that the fittest I've ever been was in 2012, just for my first Le Mans, and I was really tired at the end. And I just feel like it's a different effort. It's totally different. You know, you have to save energy. You have to eat in the night. You have to do things that don't really feel like they are normal. And I guess the experience of doing Le Mans, you you learn how to save energy and where to focus on. I remember my first Le Mans, I was 24 seven on TV, watching the others, watching the pit stop. I was consuming so much energy. And by the time I had to drive, I was basically tired. So now I've I've learned how to deal with that. Obviously I've been very lucky to do it in a very professional environment, always in the same team. So I have lots of routines, but somehow I've learned a lot how to to manage the week in general, let's say. And then in terms of driving, I obviously know the track perfectly well now. I know how fast it dries up, where you have to be careful, what kind of curves you need to take and avoid. So I guess the more times you do, the more, the more experience you get.
1: Yeah, and I guess there's no hard and fast rule. You know, obviously it varies from driver to driver as well because you're all going to react differently, right? Yeah,
2: obviously everyone is is different, you know, uh, i generally as an example don't sleep so well the day before and it used to stress me out massively because you know on the friday night you know okay that's the last time i'm gonna sleep until a very very long time so you get really stressed thinking i have to sleep i have to sleep and then you end up not sleeping but um yeah over the years somehow i'm I'm reacting better but you have other drivers they sleep perfectly well you know during the race before the race after so I guess everyone is kind of different in the way they manage the stress. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting better at it, you know, year after year, but there's always a room for improvement, I guess.
1: What do you think Le Mans represents for you? as
2: Sebastian? I think it's a massive race obviously and um, I'm really proud that I together with the team managed to win it four times because until 2018 I felt like well it's impossible to win that race you know because you need so many factors so many things have to align if you yeah. want to finally win that race and all of a sudden a few years later I've won four times so I'm very proud and I used to love it and hate that race at the same time now I, I, I like it very much and I obviously can't wait to
1: be back. Do you feel like one do you feel pressure and and how do you respond to that and two do you feel like the pressure has increased the more times you do it or decreased? It's a good question I, I, I guess it's
2: the same somehow maybe it has decreased a little bit since we won it for the first time because as an organization we had to do it six or seven times until we actually managed to win it so obviously every time you go there and you don't win the pressure adds up you know Once we started winning it it was a bit different but now as a racing driver i want to win it for myself you know more than anything else so i feel like it's more the pressure that i put on myself that i have to deal with more than than the team the manufacturer or anyone else but also you know the effort that goes into it all those endurance tests we do in spain in january february march It's a lot of sacrifices from everyone. So somehow when you get to race, you feel that pressure because you realize how much resources, effort you invested into that race that you don't want to do a mistake, you know? So sometimes I would say that I do feel the pressure before the race starts. I often take the start, so I feel like that's um, extra pressure taking the start because everyone's watching you and uh, there's nothing to win there, there's only to lose. So clearly I do feel pressure, but um, I guess I get better at living with it.
1: Is there anything that you do before a race, any sort of ritual or visualizations or mental prep before a race starts? And is that different depending on what type of race it is?
2: Yeah, I kind of do lots of visualization before the race. It's kind of my thing. You know, I do it the night before. I, I think about a perfect lab or I think about the race starts. I go through the, all the procedures that we have to do. I kind of feel like it helps me because it's like if I've done it for a few times before I have to do it for the real time. So I'm more ready, you know, because obviously those cars are quite complex and there are a few things that you have to do. First of all, to respect the regulation and then also to extract the most out of the car. For example, Brendan does most of the qualifying and I do nearly all the starts and I feel like we get better and better at doing it and it's a bit of an advantage uh, than always switching drivers, you know. But somehow I know what works on me and what doesn't but um, yeah that's the the way I do it.
1: Have you felt that Le Mans and endurance racing I guess has changed because it's becoming more and more like a sprint race lasting hours isn't it? It depends
2: the years actually but it's true that it is a kind of a sprint and uh, now with more manufacturers coming there will always be one car out of those 15-20 cars in the future that will go through the whole race with no issues. So it's clear that today you don't have to stop to change brakes or gearbox or whatever. Like today, you have to make sure you drive perfectly from the start to finish. You have to make sure your car doesn't have any degradation on the bodywork, that it stays together, that the tires are not degrading too quickly. And clearly, most of the times, if you have one issue and put the car in the garage, the race is over. I think the only year was 2017. I think all the hybrid cars had issues and the Porsche that won the race actually spent 45 minutes in the garage. And this is extremely rare. It usually doesn't happen.
1: How do you think the likes of Le Mans will evolve? What's the future for it? We can clearly say it's a golden
2: era now for endurance racing. I was initially not so happy with the new regulation and the BOP and the cars being a bit heavier and slower. But the competition that is actually coming is going to be amazing. You have so many manufacturers that will join the German ship starting this year with Peugeot and Glickenhaus. But next year with Ferrari and Porsche and Cadillac and the year after with Alpine, BMW and Lamborghini. 2024 is going to be amazing. So if we had to change the rules to make sure we get so much competition for the top category... I think we had to, and it's it's great. Now, I just hope the SEO and the FIA manage to keep those people on board, you know, to find the right way of evolving the championship, evolving the rules, making sure we keep the budget under control, because clearly the LMP1 budget was so high that nobody could really afford it in the end. So I just feel like we have now an amazing platform. We just need to make sure we take care of it
1: it's so exciting it's so exciting what's happening and with the new manufacturers coming in where do you see yourself in i don't know 10 years
2: i'd be most likely done with racing but um really i don't i don't know i don't know obviously it starts to be difficult i mean In the past, we used to see people like Christensen, McNish, Capello, they used to race up to 45 or 48, but I doubt that this is going to happen again, to be honest, because uh, people are are younger and younger, and it becomes more difficult to obviously um, be so good at 40. The experience is important, but maybe not as much as it used to be, so... We'll see. I mean, as long as I'm fast, I'm happy to race. I'd like to be racing in a very professional environment. I don't want to be doing Lamont just for the sake of doing it. So I have the feeling that if I can't do it for the win or in a good position, I might just not do it, if you see what I mean.
1: And where do you see your business going and family? I obviously have two kids and um, they are growing
2: up. So I try to spend some time with them. And then we see, you know, I invested in a few different things over the years and there are lots of things that I can do outside of racing. If I can keep a kind of role in racing, I'll be happy. But obviously uh, the day I stop, I want to be a bit more with my family because uh, I've been driving for a long time. And um, I guess when that stops, you want to be a bit more at home. Do you feel proud of yourself generally and and how far you've come? Yeah, obviously I wanted to achieve more in Formula One. So um, that aspect, I sometimes feel like, okay, there was a few things I could have done better, but uh, I'm happy that I I did manage to win, you know, Formula E and Le Mans and the WEC. So I'm really happy there, but I'm doing also so much that I get the feeling that it never stops. And the fact that I'm doing so much, I don't get the time to actually enjoy what we did achieve. So it's a bit difficult to realize and enjoy, but I guess the day I stop, I'll have enough time to think about it. Getting older, I I try to do it more uh, clearly because I'm, I'm not doing it enough
1: tell us about your new deal in formulating
2: i've changed team you know i've been with uh e-dams nissan e-dams for eight years obviously we won lots of races we lost quite a few as well and the last two seasons were were kind of difficult we knew why but obviously there was nothing we could do the powertrain was homologated and couldn't change it so it's been a kind of difficult season and and obviously now i'm joining uh, envision racing it's um it's a team that has been fighting at the front for many, many years. I think they never finished below P4 in the championship or something like that. So, you know, they won lots of races. It's one of the most successful team out there, and I'm really happy to be joining them. We will have a, a Jaguar powertrain. They did well last year and the year before. So, you know, I'm excited to be joining that team, and uh, hopefully we will be successful and have a strong season next year with the new Formula E cars. We'll see. What was your first personal car? Uh, not a very nice one, actually. I had the Dayatsu Quare. The What?! Yeah, but quickly after, I had uh, an Audi A3, so... I didn't keep the Daihatsu for a long time, but still, that was my first car, here.
1: Yeah. Have you ever named your cars? No. I never got into that, like, like and Do you have any superstitions? Not so much, but I do jump in and out from the
2: car from the left side. I never enter on the right or get out from the right side. I'm lucky that in the Toyota, we actually sit on the left. But that's that's maybe the only thing I'm I'm thinking about, actually.
1: I was going to say, that would be quite unfortunate, wouldn't it? And really annoying mid-race if you had to get out on the right (laughs) yeah and
2: and yesterday they wanted me to get into that simulator from the right and i said i can't i can't do
1: that i have to enter from the left yeah sebastian thank you so much for joining us on our episode of get closer by geneva international motor show this is the podcast where influential personalities from the automotive landscape share their passion and you have done exactly that thank you sir
2: thank you very much
0: If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe to this series on your favorite podcast platform.